Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. All right, so this morning, we're still kind of going through an unofficial series. I call it unofficial because usually we say, hey, this is the series we're going through, and we coach you through it. But I decided um, this is one of those series that just won't seem to go away, and it wasn't the original plan, but it just keeps happening. And it's that idea of what does it mean to be alive? Not just to live, but to be fully alive. And um, you know that thing that happened when I said break into those groups when you went, ah, 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 that thing that like, helps you know you're alive, and it kind of changes things up a little bit? Well, we had an experience actually with um, a bunch of those kids a few years ago because we started this thing a while ago, a long time ago, called Dangerous Boys Club. There was a book, and we decided to steal the idea and create a little group. So instead of Boy Scouts or Cub Scouts, we wanted to take our guys and have them do dangerous things. But not dumb things, dangerous things. What, what would it take for them to be a man? What are the things they need to learn? So one of the things we thought was really important was learning how to shark fish. So we took them out to go shark fishing, and we chummed the water, the whole thing. There weren't, that was a time when there were no sharks around. We couldn't find any. So we're out for like two hours, no sharks. So we pulled it up, and we just started going around trying to fish, still caught nothing. And we got to the point, though, where we're in the boat, and we're moving, and this huge pod of dolphins came next to you. If you've ever done one of those dolphin tours, the dolphins, I don't know what their deal is, but they like to swim next to the boat. And they'll be in the wake, and then everyone on the boat's like, oh, my gosh. And everyone wants to go to the side and see all the dolphins because they're swimming with you. So they're swimming next to us. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Rob? Because Rob was there. And um, they're all swimming next to us, and they're going in and out. And it was probably Rob's idea because it was bordering on dumb, and it was dangerous versus dumb. And so, but, but all the guys were thinking the same thing. Like, you probably thought about it too, right? Wouldn't it be cool to swim with the dolphins. You're not actually swimming because you couldn't swim as fast. But we took this rope and we threw it off the side and there was that sense of like, ah, I've got to leave the edge of the boat. It sounds really cool at first and then when you get to the edge, because I remember what it felt like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. So you put on the goggles and the dolphins are just going. So you can't slow down because as soon as the boat slows down, the dolphins are going to take off and go somewhere else. So I go to grab the rope and Rob already did it so I felt good about it. And so I jump in, and then you're like, whoa. Now, I'm, a, I'm an ocean guy. I've grown up. I'm, I'm a waterman. I've grown up around the ocean. But when you're out there, that's a whole new ballgame. And so when you jump in, you look around, you can't see the bottom. So you know there's things there. You just can't see them. And then all the dolphins, when we jumped in, you'd think they would just split off. They didn't. They just started hanging out next. So you're in there. You're like, whoa. And you're holding on to the rope. I don't know how fast we were going. It felt like 80, but it wasn't. It was probably like 10. And you're holding on, and you're just sitting there, and you're turning, and you're looking, and you reach for them, and they won't let you touch them. But they're just in you. They're underneath you. They're, they're all around you. But you're never going to get that experience unless you let go of the side of the boat. It's much like when you have, we've all done it or we've seen it. You're at the pool, and there's a kid and they're on the edge of the pool, and they usually have the, the things in their arms, you know, the, 
big old swimmy things that don't really work, but we put it on there to think it'll work. And then you're like, come on, jump on in. It's usually like a three-year-old or a four-year-old. And I was online because I was trying to go back to those feelings of when I was doing it with my kids. And there were some amazing YouTube videos. Like just kids on the side going, just shaking because the idea of jumping in. But you know what I thought about? I've never heard of a kid that became an adult and said, yeah, they tried to get me in the water and make me do I never got in. Never. I never jumped in and swam ever in my life. I've always stayed out. I'm, I'm sure that exists, exists somewhere. I know there are people that don't know how to swim. But the idea of not jumping in, when there's someone there that's calling you out that you trust, I've never heard of it happening. So what is it that gets, I know what got me into the water to swim with the dolphins. You know, if I don't go, I'm going to regret this. Like, if I don't do this, hmm. And someone's already done it. Rob already did it. I can do this. And so there's that sense that I just, I don't want to miss out on what could be. And so I wonder what's going through that kid's mind. Because I know it's going through the parent's mind. Oh, my gosh, get me out of here. I hate this. And you just think, like, everybody's staring at you. And then you, you, you feel like, well, my kid's just not brave enough. And there's no kid that's like, woo. As soon as they do, they don't know how to swim. Then that, they lose all that fear. But there's that sense of why does that kid make that jump? I know why the parent does it, because they love their children, and they don't want them to miss out being able to swim. They don't want them to miss out on the opportunity to be in the ocean, to be in a pool, to be able to enjoy the beauty of what it is to be in the water. That's why the parent does it. So why does the kid do it? Because the kid, either we, because we've all been there in one area, in other words, rock climbing, swimming, something, we trust that it's going to work out because we've seen someone else do it. And on top of that, there's that hope that there's a reward on the other end that's worth it. So what we're going to talk about this morning is danger. We're going to talk about the fact that God has not led us to a comfortable life. He's led us to a dangerous life. Now, as we tell all the kids we work with, there's a difference between be being dumb and dangerous. For example, when we took them rock climbing. Okay, you see these ropes? These are going to hold you. If you try to go and go rock climbing without that, that would be dumb. Don't do that. So it's not, it's not that you're being reckless. It's that you're taking the risk because there's a value in it. There's a reason for it. And yet we, we cling on to this safety. And when we cling on to that safety, we're going to miss out on what God wants to take us through. And what he wants us to take us to and most of the time, it's not for you. Most of the time, he's going to grow you and you're going to get something from it, but it's for others. It's going to set them free. See, because here's the thing. When Rob jumped in to do it, Rob did it because Rob wanted to dive with the dolphins. <laughs> he wasn't like, you know what? I want everyone to see this. I want you all to experience this. We all had the same thing immediately, like, yeah, this would be awesome. And so we jumped in, and then after that happened, then the kids were like, well, then I want to do it. I don't want to miss out. And then we had a couple of kids in there going, whoa. And I was talking to one of my kids about it. He's like, yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm so glad that Rob took that step. He probably initially did it because he wanted to jump in. So 
But because he did it, then the rest of us went, well, this can be done, and it's worth it. And this is nothing new. What we're going to be looking at, this is the way God does things. This is the way he does it in life. He wants to expand us. He wants to grow us. He wants to stretch us. But he's going to do it by us leaving the side of the pool. So you're going to open up your Bibles, if you could, to 2 Kings. My guess is most of you have not opened up 2 Kings in the past 10 years, if ever. Because, well, it's different. So I want you to open up there, 2 Kings. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. So we have one here that will be passed out. And um, if you don't have the Bible app on your phone, and we know you have a phone, and I think there's only one person here I know of with a flip phone, so the rest of you can get the app. Um, any of those Bible apps, open up to 2 Kings. Here's the crazy thing about risk. As, you, as we look at Elijah and Elisha, I want us to look at what it, does it mean to risk. What does it mean to, to, to live dangerously? So to risk, it means to expose something valuable. To expose something valuable to the possibility of losing it. Right? So like that kid holding on to the side of the pool or the kid on the edge of the pool, it's that, oh, this is, this, I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose this if I jump. If I go in, then I'm risking this. I'm exposing this to loss. And here's the thing about, as we look at Elijah and Elisha and as we look at how God does things, you know it's the call of God. You know God is calling you when it's dangerous. When your heart starts to jump a little bit and you're like, oh, that's one of the indications you know that it's coming from God. And we'll get into that here in a second. So here we go. Now, we gave you the background, so I want to make sure that you have some of the background of Elijah. So um, we read it earlier, Mia read it. We're not going to talk so much about Elijah as we're going to talk about Elisha. But in the passage that we looked at, Elijah had reached a point in his life where he's like, God, everybody's left. It's just me. I'm all by myself. I went out. I followed your dangerous call, and now I'm all alone, which means he was tired, and he was hungry, and he was exhausted, and he needed to rest. God wants you to rest, but he hasn't rested. So he goes out, and he's kind of reached the end, like the end of his ministry time. So he's out there, and God gives him direction. He says, this is what I want you to do. You're going to take care of this guy's going to be anointed king, and then you're going to make this guy king. It'll end up happening much later. But then you need to go and find Elisha, and he's going to take your place. Now, when you take someone's place, it's not immediate. It's a process. And so where we're at now, when we look at this passage here in 2 Kings, well, actually, let me take a step back. 1 Kings 19, because this is exactly when they start to pass it off, when Elijah passes it off to Elisha. Elisha is now going to have the opportunity to leave the side of the pool, to leave the safety and comfort because God is calling him, and he's going to use Elijah to call him. Now, before we move forward here, if you're like me, you're like, wait, which one's Elijah? Which one's Elisha? Wait, what? Okay, so Elijah, older guy. Elisha, younger one. Also, I chose the message translation because a lot, if you're like me, a lot of times when you're reading the Old Testament, you just wish, could you just talk in a language I understand? And so that's why we're using this message translation. So I don't know which one you're using. The one I'm going to use up on the screen is going to be this. So Elijah, after God told him what to do, 
he went straight out and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. And I was just telling this to Mia. Do you ever have to read out loud to someone? And you're like, how do I say that? Just say it fast and confident and just roll through. I don't know if that's how you say his name. Um, and I know this is how you do it because my friend is a professor. He was at Emory University. Now he's going to Duke. He does this all the time. He's a professor. This is his specialty. He writes books that are way too big that nobody wants to read. He does the same thing. So just copy what he does. So he goes to Elisha, and Elisha's out there with these oxen, and he's plowing. It's a good job. It's a, it, he's, he's living off of the land. And Elisha was in charge of the twelfth pair. But Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak over him. Now, what that means is when you take that cloak, it has a symbolism, and Elisha knows what it means. It means, I'm calling you to take over. God has sent me. I'm the prophet. I'm coming to you to put this on you for you to come and do what I'm doing. Okay, talk about dangerous. Elijah is a dangerous man, living a dangerous life. And when I say danger, I mean danger as in death, like the next level of danger, not just risk, but exposing your life. And he's also weird. I mean, dangerous people are weird. They're the people you want to be like, the people you look up to, but at the same time, you're like, but I don't know if I really want what you've got going on. I don't really know if I want to go through what it's going to take to do what you're doing. And so this cloak goes over. So Elisha, he left. He took his yoke of oxen and he butchered them. He made a fire with a plow and tackle, and then he boiled the meat. A true farewell meal for the family. Then he left, and he followed Elijah, becoming his right-hand man. Now, by him doing that, it's as if you jump off the side of the pool, and then you blow up the side of the pool, so you can't go back. It's like, you know what? I'm in, and I'm all in. Because he takes his livelihood and he burns it all up. So he can't go back. It should remind you of the disciples. When they were fishing, and Jesus said, now come and follow me. So they brought their boats up on the shoreline, and they left them there, and they went and they followed Jesus. Those boats weren't like, hey, let's go fishing. Let's go hang out. Let's go do some water skiing. No, that was their livelihood. That was the way they did their day-to-day -day life. But they changed their life completely because of the call of Jesus. And Elisha is doing the same thing here. He doesn't just say, hey, let me think about that for a while. Or you know what, hey, I'm going to store this. I'm going to put this in a storage unit, and then I'm going to come back and get it later. It's like, no, no, no. I'm called to this, so why do I have that as my safety net? So then he goes through this entire life, Elisha and Elijah. Elisha's following Elijah wherever he goes, doing what he does, and watching everything. But now the time has come for Elijah to go and for Elisha to step up. And the symbolism here of what that means is so powerful that I want to take us through it. So this is the 2 Kings 1 passage. Just before God took Elijah to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on a walk out of Gilgal. Now there's going to be four places they go to. And these four places are so important. So that's why they're underlined. I'll get back to that in a second. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. God has sent me on an errand to Bethel. Or some of your translations will just say, hey, I got to go do something. He's going to go to these four places. Elijah, the old guy, he's going to go to these four different places. 
and it doesn't do anything. In none of these four places does it record what he did. So if it's that important, like think it's the end of your life, hey, I got something to do. Don't you think that'd be recorded? Like, oh, what did he do with his last? He went to these four cities that are all next to each other. Why did he go to those places? I don't think it matters so much what would happen in that place, but he's taking Elisha with him. Notice he tells Elisha, hey, you stay here, but it's not a command. If you look at the actual language, it's like, hey, you should stay here. But he doesn't. He falls into these places. That's also significant. But look at Elisha's response. Not on your life. I'm not letting you out of my sight. So they both went to Bethel. Now there's four places they go. This is where I want to help you see the symbolism of what I believe Elijah is doing here. Is he's taking Elisha. He's showing him these four places. Because if you're a Jewish man at this time, and if you've been studying under a prophet, you know what the people of Israel have been through. These four cities just aren't four little cities. They're powerful in their symbolism of what's happened there. Because in every single one of these places, they're associated with promise through danger and risk. In fact, three of these four places are involved in the people of Israel being led to the promised land. I mean, picture that, that idea of a promised land when God says, look, I know you're in this state, but I want to take you here. And I'm going to promise you something that's beyond what you could imagine. But as we look back, they had to go through a dangerous road. And these, these cities represent that. In fact, in Gilgal, which is where they start, that's where the people of Israel had crossed the Jordan River. That's, that's the city where this went down. Um, Jericho, that was the first town that fell to Joshua when he entered into the promised land. They had to go to war because the land wasn't just handed to them. That's how life works. Things aren't just handed to you. There's going to be danger involved. And the Jordan, that was the area, that was the river where it was miraculously stopped to let the people of Israel enter the land. And then Bethel, which is up in the hills, that's the place where Jacob wrestled with God. And Jacob's wrestling with God, and he's like, I am not going to let you leave without giving me a blessing. Talk about dangerous. You seriously want to take on and try to wrestle God himself? So as they're going to these different places, these prophets show up. In the message, they call them a guild, but basically it's the, the crew of prophets. So every city has their prophets. And so these prophets would come up to Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha, and say, did you know that God is going to take away your master today? Why are they doing this? Like he doesn't know. We're prophets. Yeah, I'm with the main prophet. I kind of know what's going on. So he tells him, yeah, I know, but keep it quiet. So then Elijah, one of the places he goes to, says, stay here. God has sent me on an errand to Jericho. But Elisha said, not on your life. He's repeating it again. I'm not letting you out of my sight. So they both went to Jericho. In this dangerous life that we're living, it's meant to be lived together. We need to walk with other believers. When we do this thing where we make you cross the aisles and greet each other, it just never seems like enough. Sunday mornings are important, but what happens outside of here is more important. Do you have people that you know are following Christ where they would say to you and you would say with them, I'm not going to let you go through that on your own. 
Even when they go, no, no, I got this. I have a friend whose dad just passed away. He's driving me crazy. Because I'm like, hey, man, we want to be there for you. No, you know, I got to, I'm like, look, man, we're going to show up to your house and just sit out there. We don't want to bother you, but this is your dad. We know how close you are with your dad. We are not going to give up. In a similar way, we're saying, look, I'm not letting you out of my sight. Do you have those people in your life? Have you been that to other people? This is how it's supposed to be. Because as we go through this danger, we need each other. I don't know if Elisha's saying, I'm going with you because I want to be there for you, or if he's like, I'm going with you because I don't want to be stuck without you. But anyways, he goes. And the prophets, they do the same thing in Jericho, a different group. The guild of prophets at Jericho came to Elisha and said, did you know that God's going to, yeah, I got it. I know, but keep it quiet. So Elisha knows what's going to happen. Then here's the, the final place they go, where the, where the Jordan River was split when they entered into the promised land. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. God has sent me on an errand to the Jordan. And Elisha said, not on your life. I'm not letting you out of my sight. And so the two of them went their way together there also. And another group of prophets, same thing. I'm not going to repeat these. But look what the prophets were doing. I think this is significant. These prophets, they gathered some distance away. They, they didn't have the cloak put on them, but they could have been a part of all this. And yet they kept their distance. They stayed in the safety. They stayed where it was nice and comfortable. Hey, let's see what's happening down there. Let's be an audience instead of participating. They, they might have been able to experience what Elisha is going to, but they didn't want to take on the risk. They didn't want to take on the danger. 2 Kings 2.8, Elijah took his cloak, he rolled it up, and he hit the water with it. And just like when Joshua did, just like when Moses did it, the river divided and the two men walked through on dry land. When they reached the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Ask anything. Now, in some of your translations, it'll say that Elisha asked for a double portion of his life. To us, we're like, oh, is any? In fact, I was so encouraged when I called my friend Brent from Duke University. I said, so you're a professor of Old Testament. What does this mean? He goes, man, I got to be honest with you. I don't know. I've never studied it. Not that he couldn't find it. He just never took the time to study it. So whenever you're like, oh, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough to be involved in other people's lives. I just don't know. Hey, this is a guy that everything knows a lot. Have you ever watched CNN? And they used to have this ball guy that came out, and he would, like, explain the Bible. They'd have, like, religious things going on with a pope or whatever, and there'd be, does anyone know what I'm talking about? You missed out, because that was him. <laughs> that was the guy I went to high school with. That's the guy I played basketball with. We were in the same youth group. Um, in fact, he was the one that invited me to church. He just needed another guy to play basketball. He wasn't even inviting me, because, oh, I want you to see God's love. He's like, dude, I need someone on my team. Can you come play? We have nobody. It wasn't like, oh, you're really good. So this guy who knows everything, he's on TV, and yet he's like, well, I don't know. I haven't looked into it. So don't come up with any excuses. If this guy can get on TV and share this stuff, we can do it. 
But Elisha, what he's asking for, this double portion, is much like an inheritance. So I have to tell Brent all about this, Dr. Strong. What he's asking for is, a, is an inheritance. But he's not saying, hey, give me more than you already have. He goes, the normal thing that you would pass off, the thing that's left, I want as much of it as I can get. Now, not like a reward, but he's seen what Elijah has done. He's seen the courage that Elijah's had. He's seen what he's gone through. He also knows what it's going to take, but it's worth it. And so another way to say it, and I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates this. He says, I want your life repeated in my life. Do you know anybody like that where you're like, I want to have what that person has. I want to be like that person. Like I have this list of people in my life that I look up to. Some of them are old and dead and some of them are still here. Well, they're the type of people I look at their life and I go, I want to have what you have. But the thing is, I, as I've learned, what they have, what God has done through them, how he's shaped them and molded them, it's not just handed to them. They have to go through the dangerous road. They have to go through the dangerous, uncomfortable parts of life. They have to jump off the boat. They have to leave the side. They have to take risks and expose themselves to what is so frightful. But as they do that, and as God shows up, and as God builds into them, they become bigger than they were. They don't see themselves that way. I've had younger people come up to me and go, hey, I want to do what you're doing. I want to be the way you are. It's like, no, you don't. It's almost like one of my kids, there was a certain sport they were playing, and it was so beautiful when they said, I don't want to do this anymore. Really? Why? Because I know what it's going to take to keep doing this, and it's not worth it to me. It's just a sport. And this person was really good at this sport, like amazing. Would have been great in high school. I don't know if they would have got a college scholarship or not, but it doesn't matter. They didn't want it. But if they wanted it, they knew what it would take to get there. And as I look at people like Martin Luther, both of them, Martin Luther and Martin Luther King, I think of Martin Luther when he said, you know what, this is what's right and here I stand. And he put his life up there where they were going to kill him. And of course, we're more familiar with Martin Luther King. He did the exact same thing. This is what's right. This is what God has called me to. These are two unperfect men. But they said, no, no, this is where I stand. Mother Teresa, oh, that's what I want to do. That would be great. That seems like such a beautiful life. You have no idea. I have no idea what Mother Teresa's been through, what she went through. And then if you've ever visited the places where she's worked and where the Sisters of Mercy work now, they're not pretty clean places. Difficult lives that they're living. Dangerous lives. They've exposed the life they had before of comfort and safety, and they've given it up for this beauty, to see God work and to see the light enter the dark. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Brother Yoon. I've talked about them here plenty of times because they're heroes to me, but each of them have taken a very dangerous road. One was killed, and another one probably soon is going to be killed. Brother Yoon, that is. I think of the, the current people in my life. Dana Walling, I named one of my kids after him. He led a difficult life. But God used him powerfully, and I looked at his life, and I said, man, I want my life repeated like yours. I want that repeated in me. I look at Larry Anderson, one of my mentors, and Randy Justa. When I grow up, I want to be like you. If 
but I know their life now, and I've followed them to different places, and it is not an easy life, but it's a great life. It's a life with fullness. They are fully alive, but that road is not just handed to you. You've got to walk it. And Elisha has walked that road, and so when Elijah looks at him, his response is, your life repeated in my life. I want to be a holy man, just like you. And I love Elijah's response. That's a hard one. Because Elijah knows. Remember, Elijah was so exhausted. He's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Just kill me now. And God says, no. In fact, we're going to have someone else go through all this. Elisha. But Elisha's not looking back going, I don't want any of that. He's saying, I want this. Because he knows that death is not to be feared. That those things we're scared of hold no sting. So Elijah goes on to say this. But if you're watching me when I'm taken from you, you'll get what you've asked for. But only if you're watching. He stayed that road. Elisha's walked all this way. He's going to see it. And so it happened. They were walking along and talking, and suddenly a chariot and horses of fire came between them, and Elijah went up, and a whirlwind to heaven. Now, if you expect me to explain what's happening here to you, you got the wrong guy. He's one of the two people that we know that somehow left this earth without death. I don't know how it happened. Not even Jesus took this road. And Elisha saw it all, and he shouted, my father, my father, you, the chariot, and the cavalry of Israel, my father, my father. He isn't going on with Elijah only to get a blessing. He's committed to Elijah. He's not just trying to get something. He's now connected with him. That's how God is going to take us. I mean, there's no greater danger than exposing yourself to other people. When you do, there's going to be this connection where you're yelling, oh, no, don't leave because you are so important to me. You know the people I'm talking about. Maybe some of those people have already left you. Maybe they've left this planet. Or maybe they've moved far away. Or maybe just the idea of them leaving scares you to death. When we talk about being in community, like, I love the fact that you can't show up here and hide. I've heard people say that all the time. Like, well, you know, the thing about branches is, like, I can't hide. Like, someone's going to find me. Why would you want to hide? Because it's dangerous to be involved with people. You think Elijah and Elisha didn't have some serious fights? I mean, Elijah, that guy's got to be an irritating guy. You know what I mean? Oh, come on. Can't we rest, Elijah? Seriously? We're going to another place? Do I seriously have to eat this again? Oh, my gosh. Are you seriously talking all the time? Like, why is it always God, God, this, God? Like, at some point, we get irritated with each other. It's dangerous to be involved with people, but it's even more dangerous to not. So now where is the God of Elijah? This is after Elisha has left. He's saying, okay, God, are you here? Like, is this just all wrapped up in Elijah, or are you real? Because we're just vessels of God using us. Those people we look up to, those amazing people, they're just letting God work through them. It's not them, it's God working inside of them. And so when Elisha struck the water with a cloak, 
the river divided, and Elisha wants Jesus. There's a poem that I got when I was in college. Some people say this person wrote it. Some people say that. When it was given to me, it was anonymous. But when I saw it, I kept it. I had this ratted old sheet of paper. I won't even bring it here because I don't want to expose it to possibly lose it because it's beat up. It was on, I think I actually stole it because I don't think we had a good enough printer. I think it was on some corkboard wall, and it was like an abandoned corkboard, and I went, I'm taking that. And I want to share that with you because I believe this poem talks about what we talked about this morning, about leaving safety behind and what it means to risk to have this abundant life, this full life, this double portion, this life repeated in us. So, here's a poem. To laugh is to risk appearing the fool. To weep is to risk being called sentimental. To reach out to another is to risk involvement. To expose feelings is to risk exposing your true self. To place your ideas your dreams before the crowd is to risk being called naive. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To live is to risk dying. To hope is to risk despair. And to try is to risk failure. But risks must be taken. Because the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. The person who risks nothing does nothing, has nothing, and becomes nothing. He may avoid suffering and sorrow, but he simply cannot learn and feel and change and grow and love and live. Chained by his certitudes, he is a slave. He's forfeited his freedom. Only the person who risks is truly free. Okay, I'd like you to be very impressed with Donovan and Kim back there. You see how they made it all bold and big? That's pretty impressive. Thank you, Durant. Very impressive. Well done. Um, I want to read one more thing to you, though, before I close. Because I was talking to my friend about this message, and I was sharing it with him. And um, he's actually going to be here this next week. Um, you've heard me talk about my buddy, Buzzy. For those of you that were here when we planted branches, you remember Buzzy. So his dad planted a church years ago, and he went to take it over. So we, we are close friends, and we lean on each other. Um, not one of us is Elijah, not one's Elisha. It's kind of like we're both Elisha. But we're trying to, like, challenge and support each other and push each other on. And um, he shared with me about someone at his church that was out, and um, he only had a little bit of money left, and he saw this couple on the side of the road, and they had the sign. And he's like, no. Oh, no, no, no. You're not in need. And I'd have to stop, and I'd be late, and I, have, I only have this much money. I'm supposed to use it for where I'm headed. And, but he, it's one of those moments where God was clear, like, you're going to stop. You need to, I'm calling you to stop. And it wasn't dangerous in terms of life risking, but it, it was off of his beaten path, right? And most of us don't want to change our, our path that we're walking on. And so he ended up coming to them, and he said, okay, I just, you need to know that this money's not from me. Like, God will, he's bugging the heck out of me, and he will not let me go. He wants you to have this. And the couple just loses it. 
because they said, we know it's not from you. Because we prayed this morning, saying, God, somehow, some way, we don't know how we're going to eat. We're looking to you. People have let us down. We're looking to you to somehow, miraculously, give us what is needed so that we can eat. And it wasn't going like, to give them food for the rest of their lives, but it was for that moment. And so Buzzy had the guy come to share at church. He's like, I don't want to do that. He goes, well, come on, you could do it. He goes, you know why I told you this story? He goes, I told you this story not so that you would see what I did. But more importantly, I'm sharing this with you because I want you to know what I almost didn't do. I didn't want to do it, and I almost missed out. This couple almost missed out. I share this with you this morning, and it's burning within me because I don't want you to miss out because you're seeking this comfortable life. That's not the way God does things. He leads us to the dangerous, the risky, engaging other people, maybe traveling, maybe not, but it's for the sake of loving others. And as we do that, and as we leave the safety of the wall, that stuff's just not that important anymore. <laughs> and you can embrace what's really valuable what's really life-giving. So I want to invite the worship team up, and they chose an amazing group of songs. Um, and so they're going to lead us, and these are prayers. So um, if you're able, if you could stand with me. If it's easier for you to worship sitting down, then so be it. But these prayers are meant to lead us. Father God, we surrender to you. Father, this risky, dangerous road that you led so many people on. Give us the courage to walk that road. Help us to encourage one another. May we be a people that are not playing it safe. But we need you to pull this off. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So like Book said, these, <clears throat> these uh, next couple songs are songs that after um, we went over the message kind of stood out. And uh, like me and I were joking around, this song can't really be wrong at any time. It's so good. <laughs> but it especially relates to stepping out and trusting God. So here we go. Thanks, guys. That was, that was beautiful. Um, so what I lack in biblical knowledge, I make up for in pop, pop culture references. So... Um, I, hear, I hear a sermon like that, and I feel like it's a, uh, it's, a call, it's a call to arms, a call to life. And I think and now Avengers Endgame has been out for weeks and weeks, so if you guys haven't seen it, I'm not making any spoilers here. But it's like when the last of the Avengers come together and they're going to go do do something to go set things straight and Captain America comes up and you know gives this like stirring speech and someone's like you're really good at that I mean I felt like that with Boogie I'm like hey Boogie you're really good at that I mean I feel like stirred to 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 life and um as I was uh as he was speaking I was thinking about what um I was thinking about how in life when we risk it's not just when we risk, we're risking something, right? We're giving up something. And as, as, Christ, as Christ said in John chapter 10, 10, he said, the thief comes only to steal 
and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. And so what, what we forget sometimes is when the thief, the thief offers something pretty good, though, at times. Like, hey, you know, instead of going out and putting that risk out there, going out and doing that thing, you can always just kind of have things the same. And the same is pretty good. Um, but that's the thief. And Christ is calling us to, to drop something that we already have that is sitting there and might be fine, but he's asking us to come into something in complete fullness. So um, I guess what I'm saying is, what is it that Christ is calling you to? And that could be different for all of us. Um, you know, without, without something, without giving up something, we're never going to be able to come into that fullness. So what is God calling you to give up to come into his fullness. So with that being said, um, I'd just like to close in prayer and say, Lord God, I pray that you would um, whisper to us and that we would know that it is your voice calling us to wherever you want us to go to. Um, pray that you would be with us this week and show us your life. Show us life to the full, Lord. Amen. All right, branches. Um, so if you could, please grab your kids if they're upstairs and help uh, clean up up there so that the lovely people who are helping, uh, helping your little monsters would get going home. Also, if you could just take the seat that you're in, fold it up, and put it against the wall, it would be really helpful for us to clear up. Just have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week.